Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. I want you to take a moment. We're going to take a little quick side journey to John 6. John chapter 6, because whether you are developing into a disciple or a disciple, uh, I'll guarantee you either way, you want to make sure that you remain a disciple. You want to make sure that if you become one, you stay one. And if you are one, that you don't drift away from that. I'll guarantee you one of the key things that we find out here in John chapter 6 is that once a disciple, always a disciple? No, you can actually drift away from being a disciple. The Bible even does talk about the very fact that we can actually backslide uh, in relationship to our walk with God. Now, that doesn't mean you lose your aspect of what we know as a born-again status. That doesn't mean you lose the salvation you have as a born-again child of God. It just means that you're not going to walk like Jesus walked and do what he did and be able to have the kind of life that God planned for you here. So in the context of John 6 here, because for the sake of time, I don't have time to go over all the details of this. I just want to touch on it briefly tonight. Holy Spirit kind of nudged me there as we were praying about this and brought, me, brought my attention to John 6. So he is talking here to his disciples about the very fact that they're going to have to eat his body and drink his blood to enter the kingdom. Now, before he ever even said that, he actually stated the very fact that he was speaking spiritually. But, of course, that went right over their head. So they're thinking cannibalism because they're not really paying attention. They're not really listening. And sadly, for a lot of believers, if you don't pay attention in life to what it takes to be a disciple and remain one, we'll say that again. If you don't pay attention in life, we'll say it one more time. If you don't pay attention in life to what it takes to become a disciple or remain one, you can draw back without even realizing it. And so these guys just were not paying attention to what he said. I don't have time. You can read the whole chapter later. But if they would, if they would have been paying attention, this group of disciples who left him would not probably have left him. But they weren't paying attention. So in John chapter 6 here, as he is talking to them about this, notice what it says here in verse 65. He says to them, Therefore I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Referring to the fact again that, that you would, spiritually speaking, be partaking of his body and his blood by receiving salvation. But again, as he states that, notice what it says in verse 66. From that time, many, think about this statement. Many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They were disciples. I said they were disciples. But guess what? They drifted back and they walked with him no more. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. I love the leading of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28. Back to a couple verses here that we touched on briefly already before. I'm sorry. Matthew 24. Apologize. Matthew 24. 
Matthew 24, if you go there, this is where Jesus in the math, account of Matthew's gospel is actually talking about last days, end times things in Matthew 24. He references to his immediate disciples what they were going to face, what was going to happen to them. He also then references to them as well uh, to the very fact of what would take place before the rapture. And then he talks about the con context of what would happen to the great tribulation after the rapture. And then he talks about the end of the age. He was answering three questions here. But if you look at this right before, literally right before the tribulation period, he begins to describe the tribulation period here in verse 15. But right before that, notice what he said, what would happen the day you're living in. Right before the tribulation period, watch this again. He says in verse 12, because of lawlessness, because of lawlessness, because it will abound, the love of many will do what? Grow cold. But look at verse 13. This is an interesting statement by Jesus. But he who endures to the end shall be what? Saved. He'll be saved from what's to come. Be, I believe now there's some, you can take this one or two ways. You know, some would say context uh, eternal salvation. I actually really think he was talking about saved from the tribulation period. Because right after this, he goes into talking about the tribulation period. And this goes right along with what he said in Revelation about being lukewarm. He said, if you're lukewarm and I return, I'm spewing you out of my mouth. Now, that doesn't mean you lose your salvation. When he returns again, he will not set foot on the ground. When he comes back this time, he's going to appear in the air. The Bible says all who are ready will go up to be with him. And then they will enter into a time of seven years of tribulation. Now, this doesn't mean... Those that are left behind don't lose their salvation because that first three and a half years, there's a mass amount of souls born again. Isn't that cool? 144,000 Jews set aside to preach the gospel. And in the middle of that tribulation period, the Bible says that there is such a sea multitude, vast multitude of people caught up to the throne of God right in the middle of the tribulation period. It's so black and white in Revelation. John says, where did they come from? He said, you know, out of the great tribulation. So these are people being born again during the tribulation period. But I'll guarantee you what, a lot of Christians, if they don't understand this, they could be left behind to face something that they obviously could be delivered or saved from. Now, some would argue and say he was talking about eternal salvation. I'm not going to necessarily disagree with this to some degree, but if you keep it in context here, he was about to lead into the tribulation period. So what should we not do? Verse 12, we don't want lawlessness to abound. So what is lawlessness again? A disregard. A disregard for the Word of God. You don't take, go to Luke 14 now. You don't take the warnings of the Bible seriously. You know, this isn't at all earning anything from God. Nothing at all. You've got an enemy out here who literally wants to be able to take advantage of our life. He literally wants to deceive us. He still believes he's going to be able to convince you to fall from walking with God and therefore become one that is going to be obviously connected to him for eternity. But Because he's deceived. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's why you need to be aware of how to guard yourself against this. This is what I'm going to focus on tonight, talking about the second characteristic of a disciple. Because I'm going to explain this really important tonight. This is going to be good. You're going to be glad you're here tonight. You're not going to want to miss this. So Luke 14, we're talking about the second characteristic of a disciple. Let's remind ourselves of the first one real quick. Yes. So we've already talked about what Jesus said in relationship to a disciple, Matthew 16, 24, right? The four things that are necessary to become a disciple. Remember them? Yes. Can you help me out? Yes. What's the first one? Desire, Desire what? Desire to Got a desire to become like him. 
If anybody desires to come after me, be like him. You desire to come after me, guess what? That's a passion. That's a love. That's a pursuit. I want to be like Jesus. Then you go to step two. What's step two? Deny the old self-nature. Can't, you can't allow that old fleshly self-nature to rule you any longer because you won't walk in your new nature. If you let it rule you, you can't walk in the new nature and the, and the context of the old nature at the same time. So as you deny that old self-nature, what's the third thing you do? Take up your cross. You now take up that new nature. You take up the will of God of what you have been made to actually already be on the inside. You start learning about that person and you start walking that out. As you now take up your cross, the last thing, so important. What's the last thing? I'm going to emphasize this again tonight. He references the phrase, follow me. But the phrase there literally means to do what? It means you make him your companion. You become close to God. You walk with Jesus. And this is where I'm really concerned with a lot of believers. Because I will promise you, sadly, a lot of Christians today do not have a passionate walk with Jesus. They are not obviously his companion. They just kind of visit him once in a while. So those are the four things it takes to become a disciple. In the characteristics of a disciple, you see these things come up again and again and again relating to those four things. But understand this very clearly. We've already touched on the first one, John 8, 31. Do you remember it? What do you got to do? Abide in the word. If, if, if anyone abides in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So we taught on that in detail, two services, how to do that. I'm not going back through that again. I'll never get forward where we need to go. So we've already talked about that, and we've already touched on the second one as well. So that's the very first characteristic of a disciple. They abide in the word, and if they are, what does that mean? That word comes alive in them. They're putting application to it. And through application of it, by living it out, what happens? They come to know the truth through application, and that truth sets them free, right? So here's the second characteristic. We touched on it on Sunday night. I'm going to pick it back up. I want to go a little further tonight. Luke 14, you with me? 25, a great multitude of people went with him, and he turned and he said to them. Verse 26 is what we're focused on right now. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, guess what? He cannot be. Cannot be my disciple. He didn't say he can't be born again. He said you can't make it to the point of a disciple walking like Jesus walked, living like Jesus lived, knowing what Jesus knows. Actually, now knowing as I face it, it's so cool to know if I'm a disciple and I'm walking like Jesus, I fear nothing that comes. I'm not ever concerned about anything that would come my way because you know what? I already know that I can tap into what Jesus knows and therefore I can walk in victory just like Jesus did. So you and I, what's so cool about living the life of a disciple, you, live, you don't live anything like the world. When stuff comes against people in the world, man, they freak out. They get nervous. They get fearful. They get concerned. Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? On and on and on we go. The president that I wanted in the White House isn't there. The, the Congress ain't doing their job. The Senate's not doing their job. All these people coming across the border. Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen to America? Well, what the Bible predicted. Darkness would cover the earth. Deep darkness will cover the people. Wait a minute, wait a minute. But for those of you who arise and shine, it won't sit on you. How do you rise and shine? Live the life of a disciple. Because you'll walk in the glory that God has for you. So understand what he is saying here is we looked in Matthew's account. If anyone comes to me does not hate his father and mother, we know clearly this would be contrary in the English language to what Jesus said about people. We're not to hate people. So the phrase is love less. 
Simply meaning you can't love anybody more, including your own life, what you would want to do, than you love Jesus. So what's number two characteristic of a disciple? They keep Jesus as their first love. Now, I already touched on it. I can't go back there. I've already looked at multiple verses on that. We looked at Matthew's account, and he literally said it. He said, you must not love your father, mother, brother, sister more than me and your own life as well. You can't love them more than you love me. If you do love them more than you love Jesus, what's going to happen? Then they're going to be the ones deciding what you're going to be doing in life. They're going to be the ones deciding how you're going to walk your life out. The truth is, if you love Jesus more than anybody else, you're going to love people more than you've ever loved them. You listening? A a big problem why a lot of Christians have a hard time loving other people is they don't love God more than anything else. If you love God more than anything else, guess what? He rubs off on you. I said he rubs off on you. That love's already in you, and it rubs off on you, begins to manifest. So clearly what he's telling us here is you can't love anybody more than you love me. If you do, guess what? You're not my disciple. Go to Mark 12. So we touched on again very clearly on Sunday night. We already touched on the point of what it reveals to us in the book of Revelation about this. Remember what he said to the very church, first church that he wrote there, those seven churches in Ephesus? You have left your first love. Right? Yes, no, maybe. He left your first love. So guess what? They actually then had their love grow cold. Remember what he said there in Matthew? The love of many will grow cold. That means at one time they were passionately in love with God. Well, what happened to the church at Ephesus? Same thing. And because it grows cold, it's not so noticeable. It's a very subtle thing. The thing about how Satan works, he's so subtle in the things that he does that a lot of times we don't even realize it's going on until it's too late. So I'm, going to re- I'm just going to refer back to what we read about there in Revelation chapter 2. I'm not going to turn there, but what we refer to, verses 1 through 7, he told them that you had left their first love. They were doing good, all these things, but now... They've left their first love. Remember what he told them to do? Remember. Verse 5. Remember from where you've fallen. And do what? Do what? Do what? The first works. So Adam Clark's commentary has a detailed uh, uh, notes about that verse relating to what the Bible teaches us in the scriptures of what are the first works of the body of Christ once they're born again. So here's what it refers to. The, The statement there refers to remember your willing spirit. That you had a willing spirit. When you got born again, God didn't make you get born again. You had a willing spirit to come to him. You had cheerful self-denial. Because without self-denial, you couldn't have got born again. And therefore, once you got born again, guess what I started denying? The old self. Going through conversion stage, right? You had a cheerful self-denial. Your fervor was, was evident in private prayer. You had a fervor about prayer, talking to God. Now, all of a sudden, you realize you can talk to God, and you got excited about it. You also had a detachment from the world. You begin to detach from the world, uh, again, obviously, as you are turning to God, and you also have what? Heavenly mindedness. Your mind now goes from thinking about focusing on all that's here, and now it starts focusing on God. So he's saying if you've left your first love, you got to return to that. You got to go back and do those first works and remember what it was like before you fell. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm not here to recover that. I'm here to show you tonight why this is so important. Why? Why is it so significant? Now, I know a lot of people could say a lot of different things, but I'm going to show you what the Bible says about it. Why is it so significant for us to have God as our first love? What is the real significance of why that's so critical? 
And if we don't, how could that affect our life? Clearly, not only obviously in our walk with God, but therefore as a disciple. So if you'll pick this up with me in Mark chapter 12, a lot of people read over some statements here that are made after what Jesus states here. And everything in the Bible has significance. And we need to really learn. This is why we come to God's house. We're here to be equipped. So watch this. Verse 28, one of the scribes had came to Jesus, having heard about them reasoning together, perceiving that he, Jesus, had answered them well. And he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Which is the first commandment? So he's talking to Jesus, and he says, I want you to tell me what is the most significant commandment in the Scriptures. 29, Jesus answered him. Underline it, highlight it, circle it. The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with some of your heart. How much? Watch this. Now this is over into the New Testament. Well, that's the Old Testament. You're supposed to love him less? No. Notice this. You're to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. That's your entire being, spirit, soul, and body. If you love him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, guess what? He's your first love. Because you love him with all your heart. You love him with all. Come on. With all your soul. You love him with all your mind and with all your what? Strength. Notice this. This is the first commandment. And then he goes on to say, and the second is like it. And this is the second. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 32. Now, this is what people read over and don't pick up on. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. For there is one God and there is no other but he. In other words, therefore, the reason you should love him above everything else. Because there's only one God. 33. To love him. With all the heart, he goes on to say, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all. Listen to this. More than all. Here's what people miss. The whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Everything that was required under the Old Testament to be right with God. So he's saying to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Truly, the scribe's saying this. It is actually so significant that it's more than all of the whole burnt offerings you could offer to God and all the sacrifices you could bring to him. I'm going to show you why. 34, so Jesus then saw that he had answered wisely and he turns and said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him because of course he knew they were probably trying to trap him. And so therefore, he actually turns around and responds and says, well, you know what? You're pretty smart about this stuff as well. You got some insight that others don't have. Yeah, it is more than all the sacrifices that are offered up. Why? Why is that significant? And why did Jesus acknowledge and endorse that statement? Before we go there, let's talk about loving him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. This represents your spirit, soul, and body. All your heart, spirit, man. Spirit man. You're supposed to love him with all of your spirit man. Meaning what? That you allow your spirit man to become the dominant one in your life. How do you do that? You love him with all your soul. Which also ties to your mind. Because the soul is mind, will, and emotions. If I love him with all my soul. Here's a problem for some believers. If I love him with all my soul. Guess what? I don't think what I want. Right? I think what he wants. Mind, will, and emotions. Mind is reasoning. I reason things out based on what God says. Will. I don't choose my will, just like Jesus. I choose his will. Even when it's hard. 
Even when, you know, this is the thing about relating to aspects of anything you look at in life. Has he talked about the second commandment? And love others, love your neighbor as yourself. What is that? It's known as the, obviously a simple truth. It's known as the relationship to what we know as the truth about walking in love. How do you walk in love? Treat others the way you want to be treated. No matter how they treat you. God's unconditional love doesn't say, well, they don't treat me well. I'm not treating them well. No, that's not God's love. So to love him with all your soul, mind, as context, your reasoning, will, what you choose to do, and your emotions. So your emotions don't rule you. You choose to do what? You, you choose to submit them and yield them to your new spirit man and to the very God that lives in you. Amen? Amen. And all your strength is the outer man. Yes. What you have the ability to do with this body relating to work, relating to going and getting things, getting wealth, etc., as well as the fact that you don't go punching people in the face with your hands. You go loving people and laying hands on them instead. Amen? Amen. Yeah, let me lay some hands on you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let you do it biblically, praise the Lord. Amen? So if you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're loving him with your entire being. What would that mean? He's your first love. And when this scribe in verse 33 said, this is more than all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, I don't have time to go there. But in the Gospels, Jesus referred to this. And this is how he referred to it. He said in the Gospels, he said, I want you to go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want you to turn there, Hosea 6.6. We'll go directly to what he quoted. Because I don't have time to go over the actual verses in the Gospels. You could look it up later. But in quote, uh, quote Matthew's account, as well as Mark's account, he said, I want you to understand that. Well, when Jesus said he wants us to understand it, and then he quoted he quoted Hosea 6.6. 6. I know we've taught on it before, but guess what you and I should do? Make sure we understand it. Right. Amen? Amen? It ties to this statement about why is it so important to make sure that I am loving God, I am loving Jesus above everything else. I'm going to show you why. I'm going to show you why. It all relates back to the whole purpose of why he created man. It all relates back to what was started initially with Adam and Eve in Genesis in the the garden. It constantly does. It always comes back to this. Always, always, always. If I don't love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm going to miss out on the beauty and the benefit. And we'll say that again. I'm going to miss out on the beauty and the benefit of what God has for me to walk with him every day. You're going to miss out. I said, you're going to miss out. If he is not your first love, you're not going to know him like somebody else who has him as their first love will. Amen. And that's the significance of Jesus being your first love. If I, if I don't know him as well as I should, how am I going to be his disciple? How am I going to develop as a, as a disciple? So this is why it's so significant to him that you and I make sure that we keep him as our first love. And relationship to what he stated about go learn what this means, here it is, Hosea 6.6. Notice what God said through the prophet Hosea here. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice. God said this. God said this. What's God's desire from us? Mercy, not sacrifice. Last part. And the knowledge of God more than what? There you go. What did that scribe say? To love the Lord your God. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength is greater than all the burnt offerings and all the sacrifices. And Jesus said, this guy is on the verge of getting it. He's about got it figured out. Because he's not walking in a love of what he does for religion. He's not walking in a love of position. 
He's not walking in a love of money, which many of the religious leaders did. They like, they like the biggest you know, crowds and the best seats in the synagogues and all the attention to the people. Their, their life in living out what they lived out wasn't to know God. It was to try to prove to everybody else how they wanted to show themselves as being really close to God when they really weren't. And that they were really religious. And they were religious, man-made religious. They didn't have a relationship. Jesus himself showed up. Most of them never recognized him. So watch this. This is why it's so important to love God above everything else, to love Jesus above everything else. I desire mercy. Circle, highlight, underline the word mercy. It's a bad translation even in the, King, in the New King James. If you look up the word, here's the primary word. You ready? Loyalty. Loyalty. That's the first word you'll find in the definition of that word there in the Hebrew, loyalty. But then it has a further definition. It doesn't stop there. A loyalty, listen to this, that comes from a devoted love. A loyalty that comes from a devoted love. If you walk in a devoted love towards something, guess what you're going to be? Loyal. So he's not saying, I want your loyalty. He said, the loyalty will be the result of a devoted love for me. If you have a devoted love for me, guess what? I won't have any issues with you being loyal in the sense that you're going to want to be with me, spend time with me, or be around me. And I'm going to show you that in just a minute in the last part of the verse. But I want you to get this first part. I am wanting from you your devoted love, which will bring about a loyalty. Why? Last part of the verse. And the knowledge of God more than burnt sacrifices. Now, that's not even a good translation, again, in the New King James. One translation actually says it pretty proper, pretty right. You ready? I want you to know me. I want you to know me. The reason I want you to have a devoted love for me is because the whole reason I created you to begin with is so that you could know me personally, intimately, walk with me. Well, you're not going to be a disciple without that. It's not going to happen. So you could literally go through this teaching, learn all the characteristics and principles it takes to make a disciple, but if you don't have this devoted love for Jesus, if you don't love him above everybody else, guess what you're not going to be? You're not going to be a disciple because you're not going to what? You're not going to know him like you could. This all comes back to knowing him. This isn't about you and I being able to walk around and label yourself as, I'm a disciple, I'm a disciple. Guess what? You don't need to label yourself. If you walk with Jesus, people are going to know that you're different. They're going to recognize you're different. Right? They don't know the terms. Not like they're going to say, oh, that must be a disciple. No, they're, kind of, they're going to do like they did in Acts chapter 9. Gee, Acts chapter 11. Oh, these are those Christ followers. Right? But understand, this is why it is so significant to him to say, I have to have you as my first love if you want to be my disciple. Just so I can be a disciple? No. So you can know me because you can't be a disciple without knowing me. It's not possible. Isn't it cool? I mean, how amazing and cool is it that the God of the universe who created everything, think about this, wants you to know him intimately. He didn't have to give us that opportunity. He just said, you're my robot, you're my creation, I'm going to tell you what to do. Nope, you got a free will. And the reason you have a free will, this is like a lot of people have asked me for years. Why in the world, when we used to, you know, do the question and answer thing from time to time at church, they would ask a lot of times, I get this question, why did God allow Adam and Eve to sin in the garden? He had to. He had to. He had to. He's love. He's love. 
It's simple to understand. In the natural, if you have an affection for somebody and they have no affection for you, guess what they'll never experience? Your love. God is love. I said God is love. If he didn't give Adam and Eve a choice to want to have him as their first love, guess what? They could never experience his love. And so he gave them that choice. And at one point, obviously, in case of Eve deceived Adam not, they chose to do what they knew they shouldn't have done. And that separated that relationship. So this is all about getting to experience love itself, God himself. And the only way you can do that is by what? By a choice. By a decision. Isn't it amazing how many people say, well, I really want to know God, but stop right there. Because if you really want to know him and you really want to make him, excuse me, your first love, guess what you're going to do? Move everything else aside. Yes, you will. That would hinder you. You know, when I, when I saw Kathy Baker for the first time, the time Kathy Smart, you know, I'll never forget the first day I saw her. Never. I'm at church. I'm at Cowboy Church. We were actually outdoors that day. We were, had been meeting out at the auction barn. We're now uh, Cowboy Channel meets. Uh, it was cool when Justin McKee, a friend of mine, when Justin McKee took us through the, you know, the, the studios there where they do the Cowboy Channel thing, I said, you do know this was where Cowboy Church was. He said, I didn't know that. I said, oh, yeah, we were here for like a couple years. And I said, back then it was a flea-ridden, no joke, flea-ridden auction bar. There are fleas everywhere. You go to church, man, people complain about, you know, hot and cold temperatures in church. What about fleas coming after you? We didn't care. I said, we didn't care. It was still being used on the weekend, uh, on a Saturday and, and during the weekday for auction and cattle and stuff. We were using it on Sunday morning for church service. I said, man, you see right there, that section right there? You never forget. See those chairs right in that area? Yeah. I said, I had an encounter with God up there I'll never forget. It was like nobody else around and just me and him. I've told you that story before. That's where it happened. But I, we were outside this day. It was pretty weather. Jeff would always kind of change things up. Let's do church outside today. So we're out sitting on these steps outside the, where the auction barn is. And here she come, man. And I noticed her. And I'll guarantee you, long story short, when, when I had the opportunity to get to know Kathy, guess what I did? As somebody who truly wanted to have her love and her experience, my love, guess what? She became a priority in my life. I was still driving a rock truck. Don't get mad at all the rock truck haulers, rock truck drivers. I was still driving a rock truck, man. I mean, your first load is on the ground usually by 7 o'clock, 6 to 7. I've already been to the crusher, you know, left at 2.30, 3.30 in the morning. Go get your first load. Go drop your first load off wherever and then head back through your second load. I'm heading back for my second load. I hadn't known her but maybe a couple weeks. I'm driving back with my second load, and I thought, you know what? I'm not far from her house, man. I'm just going to swing by and say hi. So I did. I pulled up, honked, honked the horn, she come out, hey, how you doing? Just want to say hi, tell you I love you, see you later, jumped in my truck, took off. And guess what? It was illegal. <laughs> they had signs in that neighborhood, no trucks, man, I just pushed right on down through there. I'm going to tell you folks, when Jesus is your first love, everything else will get pushed aside. And here's the key that you got to understand. All of what you'll walk in, as a Christian, success or not, is predicated on your relationship with God. Amen. Totally. It's dependent. It's dependent on your relationship with God. A lot of Christians get into a similar type of what the Pharisees did before Jesus even died and paid the price for our sins. A lot of people get into what really is a form of religion, going through the motions of Christianity. They don't have a developed walk with God. Why not? Why would they not? Why would somebody born again not have a developed walk with God? What are we talking about tonight? Second characteristic of a disciple. He's not 
not their first love. He's not their first love. The only reason a Christian born again, mm-hmm. you listening to me, would not have a developed close walk with God, Jesus is not their first love. Because if he's your first love, guess what you're going to do? You're going to draw close to him. Right. You're going to develop a walk with God. Yes. Are you still with me? Yes. I so wanted to know Jesus. I was blown away that I could, that I did not get drugged to church. I, did, I worked a 65 to 80 hour job driving a rock truck and rode bulls on the weekends and still never missed church on Sundays. Wasn't because I had to go. Nobody forced me. You listening? Some good friends of ours, Ronnie and Kim Tubbs, actually would sometimes come up from Stephenville. He, would ride, he was riding bulls some at the same time as well. We'd sometimes go to Mesquite on a Saturday night, ride at Mesquite uh, on Saturday night. I w- we would, that's clear over Mesquite to get back all the way to Keller where I live. We wouldn't get home till like 12, 31 o'clock in the morning. Then guess what we did? We sat up talking the Bible. And for hours. All of a sudden, you know, we get in my little living room in there. It's just a little tiny living room, kitchen area, one little bathroom, and one little bedroom. They'd come sleep in our living room. And we'd start talking the Bible. Are you kidding me? Man, we couldn't stop. Amen. Ronnie would give his pie, I'd give mine, Kathy. I mean, you know, Kim. And we just go for like a couple hours. We're not even thinking about what we're doing. We're so excited about God. And we're all so in love with Jesus that it didn't bother us to do so. And now it's like 2, 3 in the morning going to bed and being at church at 10 o'clock, no problem. We got up and went to church on, on Sunday mornings. This wasn't because we had to or some religious thing. I'm here to tell you again, I want to say it again. Everything about your walk with God is predicated on this characteristic of a disciple. These characteristics are not given in a specific order. You got to have them all to be a disciple. But if he's not your first love, that's the problem. In relationship to the other things that you walk in as a believer, if he's not your first love, you're not going to get to know the one who wants to disciple you. And if he disciples you, guess what you do? You become like your teacher. Isn't that right? Luke chapter 6. So I desire what? A loyalty from a devotion of love, not your sacrifice. I don't want you to act like coming to church as a sacrifice. I don't want you to act like opening your Bible to read a chapter a day is a sacrifice. If it's a sacrifice, there's no relationship in it. You listening? I don't want you to do the things of God that helps you to get to know me and think of it as a sacrifice. What he's saying here, of course, in the, and now Jesus brings it over in the New Testament, but what he's saying here in the days that they lived, he was saying, okay, guess what? They're still having to bring sacrifices. They're still under the old covenant. To cover their sin. You know, he's saying, I don't really want these sacrifices. You got to bring them because I got no other way to cover your sin right now. But that's not why I'm having you bring them. I want relationship. It's all about relationship. If you have a devoted loyalty to me, even under the Old Testament, what they had to bring wasn't like some painful sacrifice they had to go through. Not if they had a devoted love for God. You still here? What about the New Testament believer? Why do so many Christians think, oh, I got to sacrifice my ball game. I got to sacrifice going fishing with my family. I got to sacrifice just hanging out at home with my kids. I don't ever get any time at home with my kids. On and on we could go. Well, listen, if you love something more than you love God, then those things that are of God, how do you know you love something more than of God? It's a sacrifice to you. Preaching better than your amen tonight. See, this is what he's saying. I don't want your sacrifice. This, I don't want you to see this as a sacrifice. I want your devoted love. Why? 
So that, last part of the verse, you can know me, knowledge of God. The Hebrew says it. The Hebrew language actually says it. I want your loyalty, devoted love, because I want you to know me. That's the whole reason Jesus died. Is so that you could know him. Amen? And in getting to know him, guess what happens? You start becoming a disciple of Jesus. Any good amens on that? Go to Galatians 5. So, as I started off tonight... In the context of talking about those who drifted away who were disciples, how many of you know why they drifted away? Jesus was no longer their first love. Right? Just like the church at Ephesus he wrote to in the book of Revelation. Remember what he said? How do we know that they had drifted away? He said, if you don't get this corrected, I'll come remove your lampstand. I'm not going to leave a, a pastor here and a church here for a people that don't want to know me. There's no reason to. There's no reason to have an anointed shepherd here trying to help people who don't want to know me to walk with me. I'll move them on somewhere else. And I'll take him somewhere where there are people that want to know me. But none of this needs to be looked at as a sacrifice. Now, what I want to finish with tonight, you ready? I'm going to give you three things that threaten your love with Jesus. Get them down. There's three primary, primary things. Now, you could go off of these three things into some smaller details, but I'm going to show you the scriptures clearly, as the Bible reveals to us, as to three things that are a threat to losing him as your first love. To losing him as your first love. These three things will cause you to come into lawlessness. Because what they'll do is they'll cause you to start disrespecting God's word. If you disrespect God's word, what does that mean? You don't adhere to it anymore. Well, I got to do all this stuff. Now, wait a minute. See, that again is a sacrifice mentality. No, you get to. I get to go to church. I get to fellowship with other believers. I like seeing you. I like being around you. I like seeing all your smiling faces, man, every time you come. I'll try that again. I like seeing all your smiling faces every time you come. Because I know believers who are born again and know who they are have the greatest reason to be in joy because obviously they've been born again and going to heaven in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I like going to the Bible every day. I like studying the Word and getting to know God better. I like fellowshipping with God. I like praying. I like talking to God. I like hearing from God. I like serving God. I like doing the outreaches we do. I like the things we do to work with Him to help reach other people. Why? Because He's involved. He's in the midst of it, praise God. So I get to go do what? Come alongside and work with him. So there's three things I'm going to give you tonight. And as a believer, disciple or not, you don't want to forget these. So again, remember when Jesus gave us the warning about lawlessness abounding, that we would obviously, therefore, uh, leave our first love? Let me show you the things that affect you in relationship to your first love that would cause you to start disrespecting the scriptures. Anybody have an idea what the first one is? People. People. What did he say in Luke 14? Can't love father, mother, brother, sister. Come on, your own spouse or even your own life or your kids more than you love me. See, one of the biggest influences upon believers' lives is to start disrespecting the Scripture. How many people will come along a lot of times to a believer and say, Man, how often you go to that church? Well, pretty much every time the door's open. What do you do that for? I'm born again. I love God. There's nothing wrong with my lifestyle. I don't go to church. You don't need to go to church. Guess what they're trying to do? They're trying to get you to disrespect the Word of God. They're trying to get you to start going into a position, not even knowing it. 
Most of them aren't like, hey, I want you to live in lawlessness like me. No, they think what they're doing is okay. They've been deceived themselves. Satan's a deceiver. And what they're trying to do, really not even realizing it, Satan's trying to use them to get you deceived and to get you to be disrespectful to the word of God. And if you do that, what happens? Your love grows cold. So this is the first threat, people. Look at this, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. You still here? In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. In other words, you have, a, you have a covenant, not because in the context of a male you're circumcised or not. No, it's because you're born again. You got a covenant because Jesus died, like we sang tonight, paid the price and washed you in his blood. Notice this. So it's not circumcision or uncircumcision that avails anything or really is a profit to you now in the New Testament. Watch this. But faith working through what? There you go. Faith works how? How does faith work? If God is my first love, how hard of a time am I going to have walking in love? How many times you heard me say this? How many times you heard me say, Brother Hagin, great man of faith, great man of love. He said, if my faith was not working, if I was praying in faith, knowing I was praying in faith and not getting results, where's the first place he checked? Love walk. Now, why would my love walk all of a sudden not be up to par? Might be drifting away from God a little bit. Might not be keeping him as your first love. Might be allowing some wrong person to influence you through what they did. Right? Somebody wronged you, so you're allowing the influence of that wrong person, come on, to affect what you're doing to get out of love. And Satan is simply scheming away, trying to do what he can to get you to pull away from God, to affect your faith, to affect your walk with God, and to take advantage of your life. He's not going to stop between now and the time you go to heaven. But thank God we can keep him under our feet. He has no authority over you. You have no reason to fear demons whatsoever. Uh, I'm going to be talking about authority in God this year as well. So I want you to see this. But your faith works through what? Love. Look at the next verse. So this Paul writing to the church at Galatia. You ran well. You started off good, boys and girls. You did really good when you started off. Man, you were excited, in love with Jesus, right? Just like the church at Ephesus. But notice this. Who hindered you? Not a what? Not a what? And this ain't who's from whoseville. <laughs> Not a who like, you know, uh, uh, Grinch stole Christmas who. Again, who, notice, who hindered you, watch, from obeying what? Wait a minute. So obeying the truth means I'm walking out. What am I walking out? I'm walking out John 8, 31 and 32. Right? If I abide in the word and I learn what that word means and it comes alive in me and I start acting on it, I'm doing what? I'm obeying the truth. I'm walking out the truth. What's that truth do? Oh, so what happens if somebody hinders you from obeying the truth? You're not going to be free anymore. You're going to start going back into fleshly bondage, carnal bondage, all the aspects of what Satan wants to do to take advantage of your life. And if you do that, guess what's not working now? Your faith ain't working. You still with me? You ran well, but who hindered you from what? Obeying the truth. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven, underline it. Leaven's the whole lump. Now, what was he just referring to there about a little leaven leavening the whole lump? Come on, you, ba- you ladies who are bakers or even maybe some guys, right? What do you put leaven? You just put a little leaven in a loaf of bread. Why? Make it rise. Affects the whole loaf. Does it not? Yeah, I remember I used to, bre- remember those bread makers they had when they first came out with those bread makers? Man, I love that stuff. Please <laughs> make that bread all the time. But now what's he referring to? A little leaven. He's not talking about bread. Tell your neighbor he's not talking about bread. 
What's he talking about? Relationships. Relationships. Allow just a little bit. Come on. A little bit of wrong influence from a wrong relationship that you are now giving them your devotion that belongs to God. And if you do that, that leaven begins to do what? Affect your life more and more and more. I've never watched anybody who understood and walked close with God, had a devotion to God and a devotion to the things of God because they loved him. I've seen people drift back, but I've never seen anybody drift back from one day to the next. It's always a slow process. And little by little, you know what happens? They start speaking disrespectfully of their pastor. They start speaking what he teaches. They start speaking disrespectfully of the word. How many people have harped on me thinking I wrote Hebrews 10, 24? <laughs> most people think Brother Hagin wrote Mark 11, 22, 23, 24. He didn't. Jesus did. But most people in this church think I wrote Hebrews 10, 24. Anybody know what Hebrews 10, 24 says? Do not forsake assembling together as is the manner of some. I didn't write that. I said, I didn't write that. You know how many people don't like me bringing that up? You know who doesn't like me bringing it up? The forsakers. That's the ones that don't like it. Now, why would you forsake assembling? Why would you forsake assembling? Jesus must not be. Because if Jesus is your first love, guess what you don't have a disdain for? He's the word. What's lawlessness? You begin to disrespect this. You begin to, let me say it better. Let me say it better. I don't, because most people would never say, oh, I disrespect the Bible. They, they don't, this is what I mean. You begin to all of a sudden make it something that it's not, saying something that it's not, and therefore you're not giving it the place in your life that you should. And this all happens primarily from what? People. Wrong influences. People beginning to so all of a sudden, well, I wouldn't be listening to that pastor of yours anyway. Let me help you with something. This is very important to understand. Adam Clark's commentary is so powerful on this. He's, if you ever look at commentaries, he's one, or I've even confirmed with our pastor, very accurate with his commentaries on the New Testament. Adam Clark makes this statement about what the scriptures teach as a relationship to an anointed pastor that you're supposed to be connected with. He makes a statement in there. He said, if you look at the Greek language relating a pastor to their flock and a flock to their pastor, if you speak against that pastor and say things against him, you're not speaking against him. You're speaking against God. God anointed him. God gave him the ability to speak the word to you. And if you're upset about what he's teaching you from the word because you don't want to do it, you're not talking against him. You're talking against God. He's just an echo. A true anointed pastor is just an echo. They're just saying what God said. I know there's some that obviously get off track in relationship to the fact that they're either not anointed, not under leadership, and they start teaching what we know is called man-made philosophy and the traditions of men. We don't do that here. We just keep teaching the Bible. How many times I hear, how many times you heard me say, we're just going to let the Bible interpret the Bible. This is black and white. This isn't even hard to understand. You listening? Not even complicated to understand. Your faith works through love. So he tells them, okay, you were running well. Meaning what? Man, your faith was going for it. Boy, you were blowing and going in faith. But who hindered you? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Again, that persuasion doesn't come from God. A little leaven. So you start listening to just a little bit of what the wrong influences of other people want to say to you, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to start seeing, not even realizing it, go to 1 John. You're going to start seeing a drifting away from, here's, here's how you see it in people's lives. Here's how you see it. 
How you begin to notice and recognize in relationship to people that that drifting away is happening by one of these wrong influences, guess what you start seeing them in? Less and less in church. Less and less serving in church. All of a sudden now where they were hot for God, excited, came to church, wanted to serve, find me a place to serve, let me do something. Now guess what they say? Don't have time to serve, can't be here, can't do that. You know, there might be, in, in the case, don't misunderstand me, there might be a season due to situations financially, you may have to, you might have to in the case where maybe you're out of a job, take a job temporarily that you don't really want to have, that's keeping you from church like you don't really want to have. But listen, if you believe God, you're telling me God couldn't get you a job, that you couldn't go to God's house? Sure he can. Is he that limited? That he couldn't find you something that'll bless you? A business or whatever? That'll bless you to help you. So I'm not saying there might be might, might not be a short season or a time. But wait a minute, I'm not talking about a short season where you go to your all to your kids' uh, sports on Sunday instead of going to church. Not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the context of a job situation. But I've said it many times in this church. Our pastor has a powerful statement on it. You can serve Pharaoh or serve God. It's up to you. Right. Old Testament children of Israel, they wanted to go worship God. Guess who wouldn't let them go? Their taskmaster. No, 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 no. You're going to work. You're not going to worship God. You're going to work. Well, it's the same thing today. Right? There's people who say, if you're a really good employee and you're valuable to that company, you know I've watched people in our church. We had one guy in our church years ago, great guy. I love him. To, love him. He's, still, he's still going to church, serving God, in the house of God, in, in with a great pastor. But early on, he was in our church. He was in a situation. His boss came and said, I need you to work Sunday. He came to me and said, what should I do? I said, are you a good worker? Well, I think I am. I mean, be honest. Are you a good worker? Yeah, pastor, I work hard. I said, I said, does he actually want you there? Oh, yeah, he don't want to lose me. I said, then you walk in and sit down as your boss and you say, sir, I need to talk to you. I'm going to serve my God. I love him. I'm grateful to do what I can here to help you to work and do my job. But listen, up until now, I've never had to work a Sunday. And I'm not going to. I'm asking you to release me and not, not, not have me uh, on your schedule for Sundays. You know what the guy said? You're too valuable to lose. Go to church. I said, all he can do is say no. All he can do. He just say, nope, need you to work. Well, guess what I'd be doing? I'd be looking for a new job pretty quick. See, some people get this to a point to say, well, now you're making Sunday a big deal. I didn't. Jesus did. It's called the Lord's Day. I said, it's called the Lord's Day. Amen. All right. Number two. So what's the first one that can deter you from your first love? People. Pretty obvious, right? 1 John 2, 15, you still with me? Do not love the, do not love the, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Pretty quiet. Now the Greek language says it this way. If you love the world, love for the Father. For the Father. Is not in you. Meaning what? It doesn't mean you're not born again. It just means he's not your first love. You can't love the world and love the Father at the same time and have them both on an equal level. It don't work that way. 16. All that's in the world. So here's the things that's in the world that we're not to love. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. What's that referred to? I'll give them to you really quick. Lust of the flesh is any desire of your old fleshly nature that wants to cause you to do things outside the will of God. Right? Like sex out of marriage. 
lust of the flesh. So there are things very clear in the Bible that you and I know as a believer we're not supposed to get involved with and caught up with that could hurt our life. I said it will hurt your life. I said it will hurt your life. God's not trying to keep you from having a blessed life. No, he's trying to get you in a blessed life. What's lust of the eyes? Lust of the eyes is what you see that you want so bad that you're willing to compromise your walk with God to get it. I like something Lester Summerall said before he went to heaven. Most of what Christians have in their home, they could do without. They just don't want to. That's right. <laughs> because we have lust of the eyes. Oh, man, come on. I've got a 60-incher on the wall, but my buddy just got a 72. I need a 72. So I'm going to work some extra weekends. I'm not going to go to church because i got to get a 72-inch TV. No. So lust of the eyes is what you see that you so desire want to have. Guess who had a problem with lust of the eyes? It's called covetousness, by the way. Guess who had a problem with that? Paul did. The great apostle Paul. But he got delivered from it. And notice the last one, pride of life. What's the pride of life? Remember what Jesus said? Can't love father, mother, brothers, all that. And you can't love your own life. The pride of life means, guess what? Pride comes before a fall. But the pride of life means I'm going to do things my way. See, I know God said that, but here's what I believe. This is what I'm going to do. Well, wait a minute. You already know what God said. Why are you going to do what you want to do? You can. But if you do, guess who's not your first love? God isn't. Notice this. This is why you're not to love the world, the things in the world. Look at verse 17. The world's passing away. It's temporary. It ain't going to be here forever. And the lust of it. But guess what? He who does the will of God does what? He's going to abide with God forever. Don't love the world or the things of the world. What's the second thing, pastor, that threatens Jesus from being my first love? Worldly desires. Worldly desires. Now, notice he said the world or the things in the world. So the world refers to the aspect of what those in the world want. They want prestige. They want position. They want all these things that relates to what we see in the world. But guess what? You, you have all of what you need in God. You don't find your value and worth and prestige and position and, and holding a certain job or having a certain business. No, but that's what the world does because that's what the world teaches them. Power, holding on to power, etc. You got more power than the world could ever even think about having. And then, of course, the things of the world are listed in verse 16. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. I was going to touch on, but I won't get into diet there on lust of the flesh, but that could be a problem. I'll just stay off of that because I know you don't like me messing with your diet, so I'm not going to mess with it. Last one, Matthew 6. So what's the first threat to Jesus being our first love? People. Second one? Worldly desires. Anybody got an idea what the third one is? Money. Way to go, Donna. Money. Well, in that of the world, no, money's a whole different category. Whole different category. Money of itself is spoken of over and over and over again in the Bible, separate from all these things. You might desire money to get the things, but money's still a separate, uh, separate issue, according to the Bible. You're not to love money. Amen. The love of money is the root of all evil. First Timothy. We're not to love money. It's a tool. Say it's a tool. It's just a tool we get to use for the purpose of what God intended to be able to provide for us and to also be a blessing to others. Amen? Amen. Look at Matthew 6, very clear. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Say impossible. No one can do it. No one can do it. If you love God, if you love Jesus as your first love, guess who your master is? Jesus is. Master meaning what? Guess who's Lord over your life? This is a good thing. If he's truly Lord over my life, guess what I can tell sickness and disease attacking my body? You're not Lord. Jesus is. 
Come on. When evil spirits try to take advantage of my life, guess what I can say? You're not Lord. You don't have a right to me. Jesus is Lord. Why? Because he's my master. No one can serve two masters. Either he will watch this, hate the one, and love the other. Listen to this. Or else he will be what? Loyal to the one and do what? Despise or disdain or not obviously, in essence, make light of is what it says. He'll make light of the other. Underline it. You cannot serve God and mammon. The word mammon means wealth, money. Can't do it. Can't serve money and God. Money can serve you. But if you serve money, you can't serve that in God. Now, recognize again what he just said there. He said very clearly for me and you to understand that you can't serve two masters. If you try to serve two masters, what's going to happen? You're really going to love one and hate the other or be loyal to one and not show respect and regard for the other. What did uh, Hosea 6, 6 say? I desire your loyalty. How do you get, how does he get your loyalty? He's my first love. Not money. If he's my first love, money's just a tool for me. It serves me. I don't serve it. And therefore, I recognize that I'm not going to serve money. Money serves me. He is my Lord. He is the one I'm loyal to, not money. You can't love money because you're going to be loyal to it. You listening? And have a devoted love and loyalty to God at the same time. Jesus said so. And you know, one thing that's so important when you make Jesus your first love is you don't do it because you know you're supposed to. Yeah. And a lot of people, he already isn't your first love because you don't know how wonderful he is. When you find out how wonderful he is, you, you just get overwhelmed by his love. And so if, if you don't have him as your first love, hey, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Yeah. We've been there. Yep. There was a time it wasn't our first love. Yep. But the way you make him your first love is find out. Realize that this is him. Yes. <laughs> yep. You know, I hold my Bible every morning. Yeah. It's my way to hug him. Yes. Get to, you get to know him through him. The word yep. and the gospels is the best way because you get to see love demonstrated. Mm-hmm. You get to see Jesus demonstrating the love of the Father. You can see that leper yeah. who's been, you know, not had a human touch for God only knew how long. And Jesus didn't just say, Yes, I'll heal you. He touched him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you just and you ask him. Say, as I go into the, your, the word today, Father, help me to see Jesus for who he really is. Not who I've made him to be in my mind. Not who people have told me he is, but who he really is. And when you do that, he'll reveal himself to you. But just like he wouldn't have wanted me to love him just because he loved me. Say, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to try to love this <laughs> yeah. Daryl guy. Because, you know, he does show up at my house at 7.30 in the morning. No. How, how, how meaningful of a relationship would we have mm-hmm. if I tried to make myself love him? Yeah. I fell in love with him because I got to know him. And I, got, I allowed him to love me. You've got to allow him to love you. Mm -hmm. And one of the best ways he can is through his word. Because 
Like Pastor said, you don't just read your chapter to read your chapter. You read and you listen Mm -hmm. and you stop and talk to him. You know, I had to do that yesterday morning. I said, I really don't understand that scripture, Lord. (laughs) So I need you to show me what that means. And he'll talk back to you. But realize that it's not... It's not you having to do this. It, it's, you, you need to realize, yeah, you got to know him. And the more you, and I'm not saying the first week you're in, you know, if you're not a, a faithful Bible reader already, that you're just going to fall in love with him. But it's a start. Mm-hmm. Amen. Just like when we first met, you know, it was, you build a relationship, That's right? right? Exactly right. You're not ready to get married the first date, although we kind of were. Well, we knew. It depends. Well, we knew because yeah. we had both prayed. Because yeah. we were both at places in our life where I had basically said, you know what? I can be happy without a man. <laughs> After what I just went through, <laughs> you know, because Jesus, you love me. And, and yeah, but I told him, if you want me to be married, you're just going to have to bring him. I ain't dating again. How many can testify to that? Mm. Lord have mercy. He wants to go through dating again. And I said, you're just going to have to bring him to me. And he was, he had done the same thing. He said, I'm not dating. I'm not going to, you know. So that's why it happened that way with us. So I didn't mean to get off on that. But it's a process. Yep. It is it's a process. A process. Yep. But it, it starts by you just coming to him and telling him, I want you to be my first love. And if he's not, say, I'm sorry you're not. It's just because I haven't had a revelation yet of how wonderful you are. So reveal yourself to me, and he will. He will. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.